Hi guys. Well, hello. This is a bit different, isn't it? I feel like we're missing Strange. something or somebody. There's presence. Yeah, I think yeah. this is the first one he's he's missed. Ever. Really? Ever? Oh yeah. Gosh. I think it's the first time we've done one without him. If if there have been times where we haven't done one at all, yeah, it's the first one he's not been on in the whole long and proud history of this podcast. Well, I suppose he does have a pretty valid reason this time. Ah, well, yes, he does, I suppose. So we should acknowledge it, really. That um... I feel it's right to, isn't it, Rachel? Yeah. I mean, you know. You've... Yeah, but Tom yeah, has bought a new football shirt. So... <laughs> got some new beer uh, in the locker. <laughs> yeah. 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 He's done all those things this week. Um He's also like had the baby. Can you believe it? Well, actually, well, Tom, strictly well, Tom had the baby. Wow, well, this, this is a real revelation. This is like a medical breakthrough. <laughs> We're announcing exclusively on the Real Reading podcast. Man has had a baby in Reading. No, he now has a beautiful little daughter, um, Ellie, who was born uh, this time last week. Um, so she's a week old. She's very, very cute from the pictures. So I think, uh, casting my mind back to those first sleepless weeks, uh, he has a very valid excuse for not being here and a bit rude, but he'd rather be spending his time with uh, <laughs> Ellie and his wife, Lynette, than us. <laughs> but I think we'll forgive him this once. Oh, no. <laughs> Can't he just let his wife do it? Do it. And, you know. <laughs> Oh, that, that's it. Get straight in there, Hugh, and ruffle some feathers. That that that's good. That's good. I'm kidding. I'm uh, joking. Shares my birthday as well, right? Yes. Amazing. Yes. I, I mean, there's there's nothing deep about that. I'm just saying that she shares <laughs> my birthday. <laughs> there's no value to it. <laughs> but it means that you've never got an excuse for forgetting her birthday now, Paul. Oh, no. <laughs> what have I done? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> it's also, her birthday is also very close to Tom's birthday, which means for at least the next 18 to 20 years, his birthday will hardly be acknowledged at all. So that is it'll true. Be an, it'll be an afterthought. So, uh, yeah. Never mind. I bet he didn't think yeah. of that. Just see no, Tom nodding no along to that one as he listens. <laughs> uh, nothing's yeah. changed yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> so. Should we get on with it? Let's do it. You're listening to The Real Reading Podcast. I'm Hugh Fort. I'm Rachel Nemeth. I'm Paul Mann. And welcome to episode 110 of the Real Reading podcast. 
Like us on Twitter at Real Reading Pod and search Real Reading Podcast Group to join us on Facebook. This week we're joined by a guest presenter who's rapidly becoming a very welcome regular, Paul Mann. Hi, Paul. Hi, Rachel. Just, Hi. Uh, yeah. Dropping in for a little visit. Yeah. Another good. one. You're we're always welcome. Start yes, we've, upgraded. we've upgraded that other bloke. I can't. I've forgotten whose name I forget <laughs> now. <laughs> no one can replace Tom. No one can replace Tom. I know my irreplaceable TC. <laughs> yeah, Tim Cunning. <laughs> Uh, We discussed the week in headlines, which includes the phenomenal start to the season for Reading Football Club, uh, delivery cyclists and an Anglo-Saxon warlord. Hugh, that has got your name all over it. So I look forward to hearing what you're going to tell us. I was in, in a past life. I probably was an Anglo-Saxon warlord. So um, yeah, I've thought it, that. Know, yeah, yeah. It, it's, it seems a natural <laughs> regression. So uh, you know, I, I will be happily to talk. Happy to talk about that one. Good. Um, and as well as that, Tom, before he went off uh, with his family, um, did an interview with James Carter, who is the head of clinical program for mental health um, for the NHS Southeast. So I think that kind of covers Berkshire and Hampshire and is a very timely interview given given that it was World Mental Health Awareness Day at the weekend on Saturday, I believe. Um, so, guys, I mean, I'm not asking you like very deep uh, personal questions about your mental health here, but uh, have were you guys aware of that, that it was Mental Health Awareness Day and did it impact you guys in any way? Ego, yeah. uh, I was definitely aware of it. I've been kind of very aware of um, the whole kind of mental health issue um, since the start of the pandemic. It's kind of uh, there's sort of two factors. Um, it for me is one. It's that obviously working at home, you spend a lot of time by yourself, um, mm. and so I tried to make a point of getting out of this room and away from my screen. Uh, just to walk walk up and down the garden and have a have a chill out as well and try to go for walks um when I finish work as well um obviously that's also spending time by myself but it's um it's kind of nice to uh, to get out and stretch the old legs after you've been sitting down all day um but also there's 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 kind of illness and uh you know health concerns around as well I'm not saying like i'm a, I'm a massive hypochondriac, but you're kind of more aware. And I've always had it in the back of my mind that really I don't want to get this virus, and I don't want to. And uh, so, um, I just am very conscious still of social distancing and wearing masks and all that sort of stuff. All the sort of all the sort of rules um, that are still in place, and keeping to those as much as possible. And yeah, you know, what I find is quite happening quite a lot of the time is that still is that you go pop out to go and do something and suddenly realize you get to your destination which in my case is nearly always the sonning common co-op down the road and you've forgotten your mask and you think oh god you have to go back and get it so uh so that mask wearing is becoming more normal um but um still it really is it. isn't it that you like also, you leave the house and you go phone keys mask mask yeah also Rachel don't know about you but I still can't get it. I still can't find a way of, it, of wearing a mask without my glasses steaming up 
<laughs> so oh. sometimes you'll see me stumbling blindly around co-op, co-op, not able to see anything, which is yeah, which there is, is an art to it, which I haven't mastered. Have have, by the way, yeah, I think you have to have librarian style glasses on the end of your nose, and then that um, that's how you that's how you do it. But yeah, it's just everything's still a bit different, isn't it? And there's all this sort of doom and gloom from other parts of the country, and you think, oh god, that's all for my sister lives in Manchester, where things have been difficult. Okay. My uh, my other sister, who's uh, who's twenty. Is at Newcastle University, and which is one of one of the worst places. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're all in in lockdown, and they've got people, wardens and police, marching up and down their streets, making sure they're not having social gatherings and parties and stuff like that. So there are people who are worse off, but it's something you know. You always, it's very difficult nowadays just to escape all this, and um, it's always in the back of your mind the whole time. Like just even you know, I've got, have I got my mask or whatever. And to actually physically forget about it is is quite tricky. Uh, I guess that's what sort of mentally is difficult, as well as spending all your time by yourself. Yeah. And Paul, what about you? What are your thoughts? Yeah, obviously all the reasons that Hugh's just given there. Mental health is so prevalent now. It's hitting people that wouldn't have really thought about it much or acknowledged it even before, especially with young men. That's the area where I think it's really possibly hitting most of the men find it hard to discuss these things. I think in general, it's a big stereotype there. But I think when you look at the stats, it kind of backs it up with the mental health situation. It's a kind of, I find it really kind of just every day is the same for me. (laughs) Every day just feels exactly the same. I do the same thing most day. I get up, I have some breakfast. Then at some point I'll go for a walk down by the river. Then I come back and then I might go for the same walk again down by the river. And that kind of has a mental effect on you slowly because trying to avoid COVID is such a, is basically an obsession of mine. Now I have to try and avoid it. But the paradox is, is that I could get it and I could be absolutely fine. Like all of us here on this call, we just don't know. That's the thing, isn't it? Is a kind of we're trying to avoid something and we don't understand what it's going to do to us. But mental health is so important because physical health we always look at and consider. But moving forward, maybe that could be a tiny glimmer of positivity in the long run from this COVID situation is that mental health gets more focus. Yeah, definitely. I think, I mean, every year it's important world mental health awareness day but I think this year particularly with what we've all been through collectively as a well the world really I was going to say a country but across the whole world it's going to have affected people in such a huge way I mean I'm quite lucky in that I've got Rich and, and Zachary at home but some people who live by themselves might not have seen people for weeks or months at a time it just must be I can't even imagine how it must be, actually. I don't know how people can do that. It's so hard to be living on your own. Imagine if you live in, say, if you're in a shielding group like myself, and then you live in a flat. How do you go out anywhere? Mentally, that must be so draining. Really tough. Okay, so I look forward to hearing what um, James Carter has got to to say on all all of that that subject. Um... Get in touch with the team. Email hello at realreadingpodcast.co.uk. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at realreadingpod and join our Facebook group by searching Real Reading Podcast.
Okay, right guys, let's move on to something a little bit lighter. Big positive start to the season for Reading, Paul. This it's is a miracle. Over it, to is you. A, it is an absolute <laughs> miracle, Reg. I cannot believe what I see. It's not a miracle. It's <laughs> it is a miracle. It's, it's a miracle. It's a miracle. It's come from some, I don't know, somewhere above. I don't believe in these things, but you know, <laughs> it's kind of, I don't know. The four wins from the start of the season, consecutive wins. I mean, no, no Reading fan would have predicted that at all. You would have said. And one in the Caribou Cup as well. On top of that, yeah, it's just, I just can't believe how. When I look at the table, I am thinking, is that really us? How have we done that? And the it's most upside down. The most disturbing <laughs> thing is we actually deserve all those wins. It's really quite strange. Because in the last few years, we've had a period when we won maybe two or three games on the trot, and you think, I'm not sure we'll be able to continue this. But I'm not saying we're going to win all the games in the rest of the season. I have not taken a large amount of hallucinogenics, but I do believe that we could be on for possibly a bit of a better season than before. And it's just so nice. A little bit of positivity in this world is what we're all wanting, and seeing your team do well. Frustrating you can't go, but we take it. We take it. But so just to clarify for anybody that doesn't know, where are we in the table? Well, we're joint top. So technically nice. not top, but if you've got four consecutive wins from the start of the season, you can't do any better. 12 points from 12. So it's just because I was looking at the table yesterday. We're on the same goal difference. Well, who is it we're at top with? Bristol, uh, Bristol City. Yeah. Uh, so we've got the same goal difference, same points. So we're just we're only listed second in the table alphabetically from what i could see i think so it's either that or they've just got a nicer city i'm not quite sure what it is well first of all they're a city because your listeners are going red and not a city red is not a city yeah that's true absolutely <laughs> true it's one of my bugbears actually when it's definitely when, one of mine uh, as well <laughs> Yes, it tends to be people wanting to sell businesses or houses in Reading who upgrade it to a city. Yeah. <laughs> Not sure what difference that makes to people buying a house, but there you go. Oh. But what do you think has changed, though? Because it's the same set of players in the squad, there or thereabouts. I know they've got a new manager, but training over the summer period must have been different and hampered due to COVID. So I just... How has it been turned around oh well i've spoken to lynn moore quite a few times in the last few years now and one of the key points he makes to me with managers is clarity of information that's something that he struggled with a little bit with previous managers and inconsistency of that message as well and when i watched the team they looked to all know exactly where they should be when we have possession and when we lose possession that sounds like very basic level but it really makes a huge difference if the whole team is organised and going in the same direction. He seems to have unified the club. Now, we'll see what happens when results don't go as well as this, because that's the real sign of how a team's doing under a new manager. But it just seems as everyone's united, which is quite unusual for Reading in the last few years. So long may it continue. No, fingers crossed.
Yeah, maybe. Well, maybe sorry, maybe Liam Moore could have a word with the government as well about uh, you know <laughs> clear unifying clear, their uh, ideas. Clear message, messaging. Yeah, that'd be. Oh well, are we going to go into a political one here? Because yeah, no, no, that's that's really not. I'll go there. <laughs> no, one, one sentence is, is plenty. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, Rach. Um, so I was going to ask Paul, uh, what what's the deal with season tickets? This year. Uh, the deal with the season tickets is that you can pay £60 if you're an adult. They've extended the deadline. And that means that if there are any matches at the Medeci Stadium this season, they'll deduct the match day fee off that amount. Or, if, which is more likely, uh, next season will be when we'll all be going back to football. Fingers crossed, you know, all these things going on. Yeah. Then that will be taken off. That amount that you would pay is basically reserving your seat and maybe giving the club a little bit of income over a short-term period, which will go back to you as well. It's a kind of a really unusual situation where you're loaning the club money, which does seem a bit of a paradox, which I would understand if you're listening to this, when the club has massive debts and an owner who's a billionaire. So it's hmm. it's a kind of, yeah, football's so complex, very, very complex. I think the price of a season ticket we were talking about this at home the other night just the income that a season the season tickets bring each year must be insignificant sounds a bit you know flippant but it it can't be enough to sustain the club uh, for no, it's not. wages no, 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 yeah. and it's transfers and everything yeah it's around 30 percent 30 to 30 30 to 40 percent of red fc's right. income so it really is not nowhere near. The person who's really bankrolling the club is the owner. Right. That's the person who's doing it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, and I was going to ask a question to both of you about, um, I heard that people are being charged £15 to watch, um, I think it's Premier League games, it's a bit different to Reading, but uh, to watch them on Sky if they aren't already being screened on sky sports so you're paying your sky sports subscription and then 15 pounds a game thereafter what are your thoughts on that well i think struggling clubs like manchester city probably need a bit of extra income you know it's not like they're are they getting the cash though uh or, or even struggling companies like sky owned by you know, <laughs> formerly, formerly owned by that notorious pauper rupert murdoch um <laughs> And, uh, it was last know, billion, Hugh. Come on, <laughs> I know, I know. Yeah. Um, no, I, I, I just think I think um, I, I just think that football fans they pay so they they pay a lot to go to the games. They pay a lot. They buy their shirts. They buy their all their you know. And, it's, and obviously, it's a personal choice, and you want to do that. But um, to you can't go to the games. It's not like you've got to you think oh i can't be bothered to go this week i'll watch on, i'll fork out to watch it on tv you've got no choice if you want to you, if your team's not one of the chosen few on sky um 15 quid a time it's quite a lot you know what i mean it's a lot of, a lot of people who who've um who are struggling financially they've either been made redundant or they've had their wages cut or whatever um as part of because of this pandemic and one of probably their great joys in life is watching their football team and going to the football. And then um, they've, they've maybe structure their finances around shelling out the extra money to, to watch Sky on, on the 
you know, assumption that their team's going to be on. And then you have to pay extra on top of having Sky Sports to watch to watch your own particular team. I, I It is I arguably know, a lot, lot less money than if you were having to go to the game, especially if there was multiple people in your household going. That's true. Um, that is I'm true, just playing but... devil's advocate, that's all. I mean, the odd, the odd game here or there, but there are probably some teams, some of the less glamorous teams in the Premier League who aren't, I don't know how Sky works, whether each team gets a fair a fair amount of game, the same amount of games, or whether they have, they do favour the um, the more, the bigger teams, essentially. Um, mm. But, uh, you know, for, what's that, if you're, you're looking at sort of maybe 60 quid a month, quite, you know, if, if your team's not on in it at all in a month, then you're looking at 60 quid and that's quite a lot. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. I feel like it's, it's difficult because Sky are never going to show every single game. Um, but I think clubs could possibly do a bit more as well with terms of streaming as well. I'm sure if, I'm sure there, there would be facilities available for, to stream the games for the fans um, who could pay a bit less. You know, it's you know, like I say, it's not like you, you've got the choice of either watching on TV or, or going to the match. You can't go to the match, so to have to well, fork I, out extra. I I'm thought not, that yesterday that, um, that you know, if somebody like Tim Deller at Radio Berkshire is there anyway commentating on the game, I assume it's him that still does it. Yeah. Right. Like, could they not just set up a, a camera? It doesn't have to be the highest quality. <laughs> televising does it do you know what i mean if they could screen it you know stream it on their website or through the reading fc website better uh, broadcasting rights going on their age yeah definitely I, I having spoken to jonathan lowe on this, this i read, made a rather naive suggestion suggestion of getting little video clips of the match while it was going on and publishing them and uh was told by jonathan lowe quite clearly so, so uh quite clear words that if he did that he'd be not only kicked out but probably banned from the club forever for doing it so uh, oh. so no <laughs> no yeah, you can't film anything until the, at least the game is until after the game is finished and even then very limited of what you can do anything you wanted to add to that yeah i can't really have much sympathy for clubs in the premier league they're getting over 200 million pounds guarantee for the last 10 years or so every season I mean, I've got a lot of sympathy for clubs in the lower leagues, in the League One and Two, where they're getting a normal average wage to lots of players. I understand that. I think people should be paying for that, and that's £10. And I get I get that. That's just people earning, say, so there'll be players in the kind of League Two earning 25000 a year, uh, a kind of not an incredible wage, not a wage that you think, wow. But the problem is for footballers, they all get lumped into the same one as if they're the Premier League teams. And... That's not really fair, but for me, £15 to watch a Premier League match, I won't be doing it. It just seems completely wrong. People pay the Sky subscription already, and there are arguments about no income. Come on. Don't go out and spend £50 million on a player then. It's as simple as that. You yeah. can't really have more sympathy when you're doing that. Well, it's, it's the same as Reading as well, isn't it, with these, with these big clubs? In the Reading's... Reading's income from season tickets is a percentage 
Manchester City will be the same. It'll be a higher percentage, but their wages are astronomically, even astronomical compared to Reading. So to say, you know, we, we've lost income from season tickets. Yes, you have, but you spent £60 million on a player who you're going to pay X hundred thousand pounds a week during this period. Yeah. And you want fans and and now fans are having to fork out to watch individual games on the TV. It's just, you know, it just doesn't sit right with me. You know, like in my, in my, I know I'm not a football club, but in my house, if I want to buy something and I can't afford to buy it, I don't buy it. I don't just, I don't just say, I don't just buy it and then try and ask other people to pay it pay it for it for me you know <laughs> it's like you know what i mean it's quite a good plan I'm not quite the same as well. oh, I'm an assistant. can we give it a go here <laughs> I, can, I, can, I, can, I, can, I was going to talk, I was gonna talk to you I, uh, yeah. there's this car i've seen yeah. <laughs> right guys thanks for for that so we'll, should we move on to the next story uh, which is one that got me a bit rattled um so this was about a delivery cyclist, um, food delivery cyclist in Reading Town Centre who knocked over a, a very, I think she was only about 18-month-year-old girl on Fry Street um, and she ended up in hospital. Thankfully, she wasn't very badly hurt. I think she was discharged on the same day, but it could have been. Um, I'll have a lot worse than that. Uh, so I, I am terrified of those delivery cyclists. They, so many times I've nearly been taken out by them, um, particularly along the uh, towpath by the river near where we live. Um, a lot of them seem to have these motorised bikes as well, so they go so fast um, that it's often quite difficult to sort of get out of the way quick enough, and especially if I've got... You know, I, I tend to, it depends how many pints I've had, I suppose, walk in a straight line. Um, but Zachary's all over the place and I worry that he'll kind of be off looking at something in, in the grass and then he'll cut across the path and go and look at something else on the riverside. And, you know, if one of those cyclists was coming through, the same sort of thing could, could happen to him. Have you guys had similar experiences or am I being unfair? Um, they are everywhere in around Reading. Um, these uh, these delivery drivers. I, I can't think of any experiences. I mean, I've had some close run-ins with cyclists in general, um, mm. where where they they're sort of right next to you when you're trying to turn into the road or, or cross the road or something. You haven't you haven't heard them. Um, I, I imagine getting crashed into by cyclists is extremely unpleasant. So um, yeah. So. Uh, it is something to keep an eye on. Um, but yeah, with certainly with small children who are, aren't well known for their, their tendency to stop and look um, when something catches their eye across the path or whatever, it's uh, it's, it's a bit of a concern. Um, I must admit, uh, if I, if I were, if I had a child and just keeping an eye on them, cause they do just tend to run, run around, don't they? So uh, yeah. So I think, I don't know if it, um, the, the delivery cyclists are there's there's loads of them around, and um, I know they've got to be quick, but they um, perhaps should be a bit more down to them to to uh, make sure they're not 
nearly hitting people because they're they're everywhere, aren't they? And they're they're on the roads the entire time. So, yeah. so yeah, that time is money to them, isn't it? That yeah, the more deliveries they do, the, the more they earn, I guess. But I think the other part of the story was that um, the cyclist then left the scene, mm. um, which. It's a difficult one, that, because if it, if it had been a, vi a car, then you'd have ways to trace that person with number plates and things. But if a cyclist just shoots off, there's no way of identifying that person, really, is there? Aside through witnesses or yeah. CCTV, I guess. There was a bit of CCTV on it, wasn't there? I mean, uh, yeah, I, it just in these cases, it's just um because the police are involved it is just sort of worth saying we don't know the circumstances of what happened it could be the case that he didn't know he, he didn't know um or it could be the case that it, there's something more sinister about that we, we don't know the circumstances so yeah but the police have put this appeal out so um that's all we know at this stage so we'll see if the there's other any thing the other thing i see loads with um with the delivery cyclists all the time is no helmets and this is a very sweeping stuff some of them do a lot of the time they don't wear a helmet and often have headphones in and it's just an absolute um bugbear of mine uh sadly we look uh, when we were teenagers um a friend of ours was knocked off his bike and and didn't make it unfortunately um, in those those kind of circumstances without the helmet and didn't hear the car coming because he had headphones in. So when I see people doing that, it just absolutely riles me. I want to just grab them and shake them and go, like, have you any idea the risk you're putting yourself at? But to be doing that and kind of weaving in and out of people and a bit oblivious to your surroundings, it I feel like I'm being very uh, sweeping a statement and like not all yes. not all delivery yes. cyclists are like this. There are some very responsible ones who deliver the food very safely. Um, but it's the ones that don't that really rattle me. Yeah, I've definitely had experiences with them as well down by between Caversham Bridge and Reading Bridge. And they just yeah. come flying down that path there and on the Caversham Road because I live quite near to there. And obviously it's busy there anyway, but you'll be stood there waiting at the traffic lights and the lights have gone red, but actually this bike just comes flying past you less than kind of inches away from you. Yeah. And when it's red, if you don't look at that split second, you just kind of, it's too late. If you get hit by something, it's only a bike, but yeah. But like you say, there are people who do um, a perfectly safe way as well. It's not all of them are bad. Mm -hmm. Well, thankfully that little girl seemed to be okay after her experience. So I guess that is the, the main thing in the story. Um, right, so let's move on to the final, final story of the week. Hugh, this is your one. Because <laughs> you think that you were an Anglo-Saxon warlord in a previous well, life. I, so you're yeah, going to tell just, us a story about one. <laughs> I just assume, yeah, I just assume I was, yeah. You know, two, seems natural. Six foot, yeah. six foot tall. <laughs> you know, muscle I'm down. six foot and I never think I'm one of them. 
It's because you haven't got the beard, Paul. I think that's the that's difference. That's true. Yeah, yeah, that's the reason. That is the reason. Isn't <laughs> the Anglo-Saxon beard going on. <laughs> so this is um, in the Berkshire. It's, it's a bit more than Reading. It's in it's in the Berkshire countryside. They're calling him the, the Marlow Warlord, which suggests that he might not even be in Berkshire. But it's... Um, the University of Reading's archaeology team is uh, is working on the site now after a metal detector um, found this, uh, what, what turned out to be the resting place of a six-foot-tall Anglo-Saxon warlord who had been buried for 1,400 years. Um, I get six-foot-tall, I keep saying it, but actually, for the time, that, he was enormous. Um, people were a lot smaller in those days, so he must have been a very imposing imposing man which is probably why he became a lord warlord because as we know being tall makes life easier um and uh yeah it's found by this man sorry how did they know he was a warlord when they found him um because he he was um (laughs) he was he was buried with lots of uh very expensive um uh uh things like a decorated sword and spears and all that sort of stuff which suggests he was a, a per- person of importance um and uh university of reading have been working on this site since august now um and they think that this chap would have been playing his warlord trade in around 500 a.d um and it's a very important discovery which could reshape how historians think the uh think of the early anglo-saxon period so it's very exciting for people who like stuff like this like me um and yeah i think the university of reading team is still yeah they're still working on the site and um to continue to find out more about this fellow to find out how exactly how old he was and how how healthy he was and what he was eating at the time and when perhaps even where how he came from tell all of that oh, gosh. i don't know i've got a um I'm hoping to speak to someone from the archaeological team later this week to find out and ask them that very question, um, how it is they can find out how old someone was who died 1,400 years. It's very clever, isn't it? That is very clever. Um, What they've eaten, uh, that's the one that... fascinating. Surely that wouldn't survive. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) I can't remember what I ate yesterday, so if you think of it 1,400 years ago, it's quite amazing. If he was a Saxon warlord, I'm sure it would have been red meat on the bone. <laughs> yeah, which and he would have eaten the bone. Which you would well. wave around <laughs> while drinking a tankard of ale with the other hand as well. That's yeah, with an IPA. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's very exciting. I'm sure we'll get some more updates on on who he is and what he ate at some point in the future. Because uh, the, uh, the 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 archaeological team at the University of Reading is very, I think, it's very good, and it's doing a lot of work around Berkshire. Um, and this is the this is the they didn't discover it as such but they certainly headed on down there to carry out the scientific work after the uh the uh, metal detectorist found the uh is found that the what it was yeah how cool is that with a metal de- detector yeah. how cool is that you must only you know 95 percent of whatever you find as a metal de- detector is probably bottle caps or tin cans yeah all of a sudden you find an ancient warlord <laughs> have you got one have i got one if not um, a metal detector. I feel oh, I like you, you need a, one. I thought you meant a warlord. I was like, <laughs> well, no, have you got one of those in the cupboard? I, I was one. Um, <laughs> you were... <laughs> you've been telling happened. yourself that. <laughs> yeah. No, but no, uh, no, I haven't got a metal detector. I just, I just like reading about it, really. Maybe, maybe when I have my midlife crisis, that's what I can do. Yeah. 
after I've learned not the drums. Not going by a Porsche. Yeah. No, a kit Porsche car. Porsche will play the drums. <laughs> yeah. again. That will detect. A, a kit car, Rach. I'm going to buy a kit car. That's what. I'm not going to buy a kit car. <laughs> okay. Yeah, whatever floats your boat. Well, you'll have to update us once they've done a bit more digging. Yeah. I I'll want to know. Into well, it, yeah. I want to know what this bloke had for lunch. Before yeah. It. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm assuming if he was a warlord, he's going to have loads of. Uh, yeah, the best things in life. Nicks and broken bones and stuff. Oh yeah, uh, probably yeah. Oh no! If, uh, I mean, medium spice like, or hot spice. That's what I want to know. <laughs> <laughs> Right, well, keep us posted, Hugh, and uh, when you do get out there with your metal detector, let us know how many bottle tops you find, okay? Will do. Right, that's it for part one. In part two, Tom will be chatting to the head of clinical programme, mental health. That's James Carter. The Big Interview. Hi, everybody. Uh, I've sat down over Google Hangout with James Carter, our friend James Carter from a, oh, I don't know, it was a couple of months ago. Well, it certainly was pre-lockdown. But James is the head of clinical clinical programs for mental health for NHS England and NHS Improvement Southeast Region. Hello, James. How are you? That's, that's still a mouthful. I've had to look it up on the email. <laughs> <laughs> we do tend to, in the NHS, we do tend to like a title. So, yeah. um, you know... <laughs> We're not afraid when it comes to sort of like weird and wonderful titles. Yes. But yes, uh, mental health programs is where it's at. We we were talking. We met the other week at uh, the Blue Collar Street Food uh, Competition. Uh, we mm. we caught, well, I say met. We we caught up, and um, you you reminded me it was World Mental Health Day uh, a week ago, so it would have been Saturday the tenth. And just kind of wanted to catch up and and see see what was going on because obviously it's been a it's been a few months i think we spoke pre-lockdown before we yeah. before we knew there was a lockdown and um yeah let, let's just sort of chew the fat a little bit and, and see where we are and awesome. uh, obviously what, what was the what was the importance of mental health world mental health day on on the saturday well it's a it's an annual uh event i mean there's lots of awareness um uh, days and months uh that, that go on in respect of uh, of all health uh, and I think mental health this year has obviously sort of really uh, risen up the priority list, I think, for a lot of people. Um, I think the sense that we are sort of a lot more isolated now, mm. uh, the sense that we have uh, uh, more time on our hands, but also potentially we're a lot more constrained. Uh, you know, working is different. Uh, Socialising is different. I mean, it was great to bump into you uh, the other week uh, where, uh, 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 Glenn's do at the blue collar food event and that's fantastic by the way just a quick point on that I see that he's been given the nod for the national yes event so that's perfect it's good for him and great for Reading I'd say pretty um, fantastic yeah really good and you know so um, I, I guess we're finding ourselves in a really weird sort of place and um, and, and it is pleasing in a way to see uh, people not being afraid to talk about their mental health, not being afraid to talk about, uh, you know, how they're uh, feeling about things, 
uh, perhaps what they're constrained by, perhaps what their uh, sensations that they're feeling, you know, and, and also the impact on potential sort of loss of connection to family, to friends, um, and the negative impacts that really come with that around things like loneliness and social isolation. You know, they are, they're quite sort of, they're not, they're not easy to sense, but I think when you know, you know, when it when it sort of builds and builds and builds, it's something that's really quite affecting, and and that's something that I think a lot of people have started to sense. That's what I'm seeing anyway or hearing. Is is there with with this sort of you know you know obviously I, I got you on to talk a bit about World Mental Health Day, but obviously in the last in certainly in the last couple of weeks since we since we spoke about that, um, there's obviously been it looks like there may well be another lockdown of sorts one way or the other. There's these different tiered systems. Are there, are there things that, that, that you've noticed or that are in place uh, within the NHS that, that kind of, are there, are there things that we've learned from the last lockdown that we're kind of looking out for this time around? Is there anything in that kind of respect? Well, I certainly think that um, uh, the ability or the, the opportunity for people to check in on themselves and on their friends i think has become a lot more apparent uh you know when we live and work on a normal day-to-day basis you know it's very rare that we would uh you know if you go and see a mate for a pint or you go for a bite to eat with your partner or with a family friend or something you know family or family friend um invariably you know you don't necessarily get dig deep into that actually how are you (laughs) you know um and i think we are now asking ourselves or there's a lot more opportunity for people to start asking that question because you know just thinking over the past few weeks uh my friend lives in canada uh his mum has been diagnosed with cancer and uh and her uh, his father-in-law has also been diagnosed with an illness Uh, a friend uh, an old school friend of mine uh, his brother uh, recently uh, completed uh, suicide took his own life so you know and i'm not necessarily suggesting that those things are, are at all covid related but what i mean by that is you know actually invariably they're the things that you connect on with your yeah. friends and actually yeah. now you know what's to say if you and I don't speak or I don't speak to my mate, you know, I don't get the chance to go, and how are you properly? You know, how are you? And and that's really crucial. And it's a bit waffly, but I think, you yeah. know, there are definitely opportunities now where potentially there weren't in the past, you know, it would have just been a knock on the shoulder. How are you getting on, mate? Have a pint, you know, have a chat. And now it's actually, well, I haven't seen you for ages. What's been going on, you know? <laughs> Do you, do you think people are obviously, you know, we see everything that's going on on social media, and, and I, I, I'm a firm believer that social media does a lot of good, um, but it's hidden behind an awful lot of probably an equal or slightly more amount of awfulness. Um, yeah. But do you, do you think, um, you know, do you, do you think people are kinder at the moment? Do you think people are more aware? Is that we see people we see it talked about a lot, but do you think there is more of an awareness? So that's an interesting uh, question. Um, I, I was watching, uh, I don't know if you've seen it on, on YouTube, uh, on Netflix, you've probably got a bit of time, Tom, although obviously with your <laughs> new situation, I'm not sure you will have too much time. But uh, The Social Dilemma on Netflix, have you seen? Have you seen uh, my that? wife has, yes. Yeah. And I've, I was listening to it in the background. I think I was still mm. working at that point. <laughs> so, you know, that's an interesting sort of concept about how sort of social media has, you know, enveloped us. And uh, and you're right, you know, a lot of that is 
to do with sort of ease of use and it's you know it's to do with our everyday um whether we are becoming more kinder as a population i'm not sure i think we're certainly seeing a lot more sort of polarization aren't we um, yeah. a lot of a lot of lines being drawn um and actually i think a lot of that has to do from a mental health perspective in my opinion uh is that people are uh are craving clarity, they're craving certainty, and they're craving a bit of control in their lives. So if they feel as though their lives aren't in, you know, in balance, or if they're not in control, then actually they will stand quite firm against their beliefs. Um, and when you're talking about being kind, being kind is about being considerate and recognising that other people have uh, you know, different opinions and that uh, actually being kind means being compassionate to one another. And if you're constantly in a sort of stress position of COVID uh, or that you're in a sort of sense that, uh, you know, that actually I need to control what's going on around me, um, I'm not entirely sure that's conducive to kindness. Mm. Debate, question, I don't know. But, you know, in my mind, I, I think that is... that I. I I would be surprised that we come out of this a a more caring uh, society, which I know sounds a little bit, <laughs> sounds a bit depressing, but you know. But also, what that does mean is that we can be more present, and that's what that's what a lot of sort of conversations are now about being open about mental health. You know, mm. being open about mental health is about being present and in the now. It's about uh, addressing, uh, you know not necessarily sort of the, the societal factors around you it's about your response to situations and you know when you are seeking clarity or you're seeking control in situations that are completely out of your control then actually you're not doing yourself any favors and therefore what's much more important is that you bring your locus of control in to what you can control and what you're in charge of and and be more sort of aware and in the moment that's when you become more compassionate and you potentially become much more open to other people and you know and that's when connection starts to grow um so i think it gives us an opportunity i think it allows us a bit of a uh, what's it called circuit break we could use it in a positive sense yeah <laughs> we could say you know there's an opportunity for a circuit break to actually say i can't control that I can't control that, you know, I can't control the fact that, that that my business has closed down its offices and I have to work from home, you know. So what do you do? Well, what I can do is I can create some sort of routine, you know, I can prioritise my health and, you know, go out and make sure that I'm going out, even if you live in a flat or you live, you know, you're in some sort of constrained accommodation that, you know, you give yourself the opportunity every day to go outside and get some fresh air, get some sun on your face, you know, and all those elements will eventually, that they will sort of tot up your positive ledger, yeah. you know. So anyway. Well, it's, it's it's an interesting one because we we spoke to I spoke to Glenn recently before the uh, before mm. the before the thing about what what had been going on over over the lockdown and and I said oh so you know you might you've probably been planning for the business you've probably been they said do you know what no I took a break I hadn't had a break mm. from from the from what was something I enjoyed doing has now become a business which obviously he still enjoys but he said I just had a break you know, mm, and I needed, mm. needed that break. And I thought that was, that was quite an interesting, you know, as you say, he couldn't control, there was no, he had no control over when people would back out and all of that. So, you know, and I guess for some people that's easier than others. I, I obviously don't know Glenn's financial situation or, <laughs> or the financials of his business, but not everybody can do that. But, um, 
you know, at, at the same time, it, it was interesting for, for him to just sort of, I just stopped and I, I took some time for myself. And I guess mm. probably what, what people are perhaps, what we're perhaps going to have to do maybe, I, I don't know. Um, I guess with, with a, with a possible second lockdown and, you know, we, we may well be a little way from that. That may not happen at all. Um, it does seem to me though, as you, as you kind of say that control seems to be the, or, or, or understanding what you can control and what you can't control is what's important. And I don't feel mm. like we really know that. I think that's a good, that is a good point. I think, you know, you picking up on the facts about control, I think is, is huge. You know, when you think about how, uh, how important we deem uh, our position in the world, you know, and how important we deem our feelings in a situation. Yeah. Um, you know, that, that is, that all links to the ego, you know, it links to, yeah. you know, it links to who you are and it links to what's important about you and hang everyone else. And actually I don't need to be involved with this conversation because I know I'm right. Um, but actually, you know, when you think about, you know, like, sort of religions or sort of ways of thinking uh you know buddhism and the like and and you know just trying to sort of reduce that ego and actually saying you know what you are a speck you know going to get a bit trippy now but you are a speck <laughs> in, the, you know, in, the, in the big scheme of things um there's a lot of you know a lot of good thinking like stoic philosophy you know from ancient greece which sort of talks to um the fact that you live, you know, you, you, you're born, you live and you die and, you know, anything else in the middle is a bonus and you have to uh, address, address that, you know, you have to really sort of recognize that and let things go, let go of your ego um, and, and really try to sort of minimize that because when you do minimize your ego and listen, you know, I'm, I can't talk that I've, got it you know uh, in no way have i got it sorted but certainly i do try to uh recognize if my ego and my self-interest is getting in the way of things and that talks to control and it talks to power and it talks to all those different things and the more that we realize that we're in a, a very unfamiliar place um and the the best realization there is, okay, uh, if I'm if I'm safe and if I'm uh, hmm. if I box clever, I'm not going to sort of I'm not going to be at risk here. My life isn't going to be at risk, and I realize that's actually a little yeah. bit right when you're talking about the pandemic. But you know, if you're at home and your situation has changed and you're frustrated about the fact that your job is different to what you were doing in the past, or you know, your relationship has changed, or you know, you can't go and see your friends or whatever, then actually it's on you to make those decisions about sort of what you do and how best you approach that. And, and that's what sort of the main schools of thought, I think around sort of mindfulness and around your know, better yeah. emotional wellbeing really talk to. Um, just, just sort of, just to kind of finish off on a slightly more, uh, I, I thought, I thought we'd try and finish off on a, on a, on, a, on an upbeat note yes. um, and just give, give people a little bit of inspiration, perhaps what, um, what have you seen that, that's impressed you that, that people have been up to? What have you, you know, I, I, I did a, I did 46 episodes of a non-league football podcast during the lockdown, oh, um, practically one a day. I think I, I did see uh, there, there was something at the very start, uh, you know, what the world doesn't need now is every middle-aged man to go and start a podcast. Well, I did exactly that. You know, so, so, so off, off that went, but um, yeah, it, it 
what what sort of things have you seen that people have done to kind of just just give themselves maybe a little bit of mindfulness maybe you know give them give themselves a break almost yeah what, things that you could just sort of you know just to inspire yeah, yeah, of course yeah no absolutely yeah and i'm sorry if i dragged you down i wasn't intending to do <laughs> not it. at all not at all um <laughs> it's I, the, way I was... it, the way it goes though isn't it it's just you you start talking about mental health and inevitably you can't all be sweetness and light. it's not all great some of it mm, is, mm. some of it is not very nice it's just the nature of it yeah absolutely and and you know what was interesting wasn't it you know when everyone started buying like lots of bread flour mm. uh you know everyone started like baking bread and you know and, and zoom calls you know uh, yeah. zoom quizzes and the like you know um i think potentially that's sort of gone by the wayside but um what am i seeing i, I guess you know from the work that i do uh you know not the work that i do but the stuff that i do on twitter under my sort of mental health twitter handle um you know i'm seeing more people uh, connecting, uh, seeing a lot more people engaging in the outdoors. Uh, you know, they recognise the benefits that sort of walking and being out in nature has. Um, there's a lot more sort of uh, creativity, people talking about their stories, uh, recognising sort of their limitations and also the positive nature of how they've come out and, like, you know, dealt with their, you know, dealt with their situations. Um I think what else have I seen? Uh, lots, lots more people getting involved in sort of physical fitness and, and you know, uh, you know, getting out there and doing more. I mean, I'm, I've just come back from a run. You know, I'm so pleased that since March I've managed to get back into the running. Um, uh, you know, you see a lot more uh, focus online. Uh, you know, people sharing stories. Um, I think there's a lot more sort of uh morbid british comedy out there you know there's a lot more sort of uh you know people people listening to podcasts listening and listening to audio books you know i don't get the chance to read as much as i'd like i am actually not a great reader so you know listening to podcasts has been a great release for me um and any of those opportunities you know are are, are ways but you know keep a routine try to sort of you know prioritize and try and keep perspective um you know loneliness and social isolation can creep up on you um and you know the more you sort of you know you think you're okay that's probably sort of a discussion that actually you need to put a bit of a circuit break in there and actually check, get, reach out to your mates hmm. reach out to your family you know your parents or your sisters or your family or your caregivers are probably in a very same situation and they would love to have a chat and you know that ultimately just that personal connection is probably the most powerful and positive thing that you can be doing i, I would say james carter thank you ever so much um did you want to just if you've got a couple of uh, if anybody wants to contact or anybody needs to talk oh, to right. someone any yeah, details sure. Yeah, I mean, there's, you know, certainly, uh, as as we know, I mean, you can have a look at my Twitter. I'm, I'm in no way sort of an advisory, but certainly um, I'm always open. My DMs are open on my Twitter. It's uh, forged, F-O-R-G-E-D, underscore in and underscore life, forged in life. Uh, got loads of good people on there, you know, loads of, uh, loads of Twitter handles that I connect to and, and, and you know, I help amplify. Uh, so that's a... I would say that's a very good place to start. And if anyone does want to reach out and talk, then please feel free. Uh, lots of good stuff going on in Reading. Um, you know, we've got uh, loads of people. I can send some links for you, Tom. Uh, you know, people that Great. are uh, that work in that space. Um, but you know, if you are struggling, uh, and if you do feel uh, you know desperate or low, 
or you know as, as if there is nowhere else for you to go then you know there are um there's the samaritans uh and i'll give you obviously give you the number for that and that is they absolute, you know, please do talk to someone. There will always be someone at the end of the phone listening. Uh, there's also Papyrus, who are another sort of young person suicide prevention uh, programme as well. Uh, and Young Minds for, uh, you know, ch ch children, young people, uh, Young Minds have very strong uh, sort of web presence as well. So I'll send you those links, Tom. Uh, feel free to get onto my Twitter if you're interested. And, um, you know, if anyone does want to have a quick, chat or anything like that then please give me a shout james thank you very much nice one mate cheers tom the big interview thanks tom for the interview which, if I'm honest, we haven't heard yet. So we will listen to that. I'm sure it was really interesting. Um, so we're going to move on to the final part of the podcast now, which is our regular feature, The Random Question. The Random Question. Um, so given the news about Tom and his new arrival... The question I would like to ask you guys is, what is the best bit of advice you could offer to a new parent? Paul? Don't panic. <laughs> <laughs> Don't panic, yeah, definitely. Um, I guess it would be uh, just accept that you're not going to be a perfect parent and mistakes will happen but just don't make them catastrophic that would be my advice to you and <laughs> kind of try to avoid catastrophe if you can yeah no just kind of like i just i guess you just have to in a weird perverted way just kind of enjoy it don't you because those when you think about it it's a lot of stuff you have to do that you don't enjoy all those nappies the late nights no sleep i mean it's not really that enjoyable, is it? Sleepless nights, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what is enjoyable Bits about it? Not right? so much. <laughs> <laughs> the constant worry about where they're going to go, if they're going to be hit by cyclists. You've got to think about all these things that you're taking oh, God. on. <laughs> oh, God. There are good bits. <laughs> yeah, there are good bits. Definitely. Oh. So tell us about them, Rach. What are these good bits? I just, you haven't given me time to prep for that question. I need to think about it. <laughs> It should be instinctive, surely. <laughs> I'll, uh, shall I give my recommendations while you think, right? Yeah, go on. Um, well, I, I don't have any children, so I haven't actually been through this experience um, that Tom is now going through and you have been through, Rachel. But I do think back to my own childhood and the many mistakes my own parents made, which I could fill a whole podcast with on, on its own. But um, <laughs> your mum and dad I, they, they they know them all, Rach. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> but we don't. <laughs> so. uh, my two my two uh, things I think back to from childhood is one I was slightly puzzled about, and one um, I would advise parents not to do because I think I think it was a bit of a mistake by my own parents. But first one is make sure make sure you give your children swimming lessons because I never had swimming lessons. Everyone I know of my age and was had swimming lessons um but for some reason i didn't and my swimming is now not technically very good um so 
and you know it's very important to learn to swim and, and do all that sort of stuff um and my other one is to to if your child shows interest in music music to listen to what they say and don't decide decide what's best for them and make them learn an instrument they don't want i hark back to about 10 years of piano lessons which i hated every second of and um my protests about hating piano lessons fell on very much deaf ears and uh i cannot play the piano whatsoever at all despite learning it for 10 years because i didn't like it so, so if they want to play an instrument let them decide not you is my advice to parents to parents am i allowed to actively discourage an instrument if it's the recorder yes <laughs> well because at the minute um zachary he does something called rock steady at school where like, they once a week and then they pretend to be in a little band and they're learning a song and they each have a different instrument and stuff it's it's quite cool uh but he's currently on drums <laughs> and he <laughs> is loving it and rich is like yeah he's got rhythm let's let's go with this and then i'm like well we live in a not very big terraced house, so I yeah. I don't think that's fair on me or our neighbours to. No, uh, I can tell you actually, kit. we we lived we did live next door to someone who who had a drum kit in their garage, and it was an absolute nightmare. Um, the whole time, yeah, in, in the background, you'd have this <laughs> like all hours during the day, and uh, we lived in a detached house, and um, I think. It sounds a bit elitist, but I think to have a drum kit, you have to have a, a sort of detached house with an uh, an area where you can put the drum kit where no one else can hear it. So, somewhere uh, in the country, perhaps when you make <laughs> when you make the big move, when you make the big big move to the five bed range, perhaps. Um, oh yeah, that's next there. year. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, after I've won the lottery. <laughs> I just want to hear Hugh's drum impersonation again. I was really enjoying that. It was uh, really. <laughs> Time. Shall I do some beatboxing? Yeah, yeah, go on. Oh, yeah. That's, that's yeah. tribute. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like okay. EastEnders every day. <laughs> Tom will be back next week. Yeah, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> it's better control of you, I think. Uh, what would I tell Tom? Um, well, mine would probably be a bit sensible, having still being a bit scarred by. Uh, um, having a newborn um, sleep when you can um share the load between you and your partner accept offers of help um and batch cook meals so many times you get to the end of the day and you think all i've eaten today is a banana because that's the only thing i could hold in one hand and like eat it so if you've got a load of batch meals in the freezer, you know at least you've always got a bolognese not that far away. That's a good idea. That is a very good. That's actually quite good advice for people that's, even without children. Yeah. That's <laughs> actually. Well, you know, I've carried that on from when when he was born. I've carried on doing that. Rachel's Rachel's supermarket delivery always contains at least ten packets of mints. <laughs> yeah, it must yeah. have. Yeah. Yeah, loads of, meat, loads of onions, way. loads of tomatoes. Yeah, I get a bit panicky if I haven't got tin tomatoes in the cupboard. <laughs> yeah, I do too. Yeah, I think, oh god, yeah, it's one of those things. Uh, right, yeah. well, hopefully, Tom will have found that uh, all useful advice for his new adventure. 
Um, so here's Jeremy with how you can get in touch with the show. Get in touch with the team. Email hello at realreadingpodcast.co.uk. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at realreadingpod. And join our Facebook group by searching Real Reading Podcast. I think that's quite enough for this week, guys. It hasn't been a disaster, has it? All right. No, no, but you did want to have the record symbol in the corner, didn't you? I don't think we've... Oh, my days, don't say that. (laughs) Sorry, the way that we look now. Not very nice. Uh. <laughs> we'll be back next week with plenty more we're still looking for good people to speak to someone that would make a good interviewee on the show so if you have any suggestions please do get in touch via facebook or twitter if you have a moment please also give us a rating on your podcast app and if you have time submit a review we'll be back next week for more reading podcast goodness bye bye <laughs>